This past October marked the 20th anniversary of the first sermon I preached here at Bayside Chapel. I was the candidate for the position that I presently hold, and I was asked to preach my life verse. That verse is the very same verse that we are going to consider this morning. In preparing for this morning, I went back and looked at that sermon and came away both surprised and shocked. I was surprised by how much of the truth of that verse I understood and how accurately I preached it. The shocking part, the troubling part, is that I know what the next number of years of my life looked like. And what I can see with absolute clarity is the fact that I knew the truth. I even preached it. Yet for years, I did not live in that truth. And the result cost me very dearly. I've come to realize that it's one thing to know the truth. It is another to make choices that those truths require. And that explains why we can look at our behavior or our thoughts and feelings, as well as that of other Christians, and be appalled at what seems like a terrible contradiction. If you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for some time, it is likely that you have witnessed or even experienced behavior from other Christians that have shocked you. In fact, the nature of the behavior may be such that it may have led to thoughts like, how can this person be saved and do what they do? How could I call myself a Christian and have some of the thoughts I have and do some of the things I do? Too often I have known of Christian families in which the biblical picture of husband, wife, parents, and children are not the norm. Many Christian families experience relational dysfunction. Too often I have seen spouses that are mutually condemning. In other situations, there's been a husband or a wife, mother or a father, that is so consistently critical that the person on the receiving end believes that they're a failure. I'm just not good enough. I've been involved with elders who have fallen. I have seen children used by Christian parents as weapons against one another in the midst of a divorce. There have been pastors and other ministry leaders who have thrown away their families and their ministry because of someone they met on Facebook. Every born-again believer is indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. Yet many feel and believe that they are trapped in some kind of spiritual or relational defeat. They believe the lie that life cannot be much more than what it has become. I submit to you that all the people in these situations knew the truth. They simply did not choose to take hold of it and live it out. Can you look back at a time in your life when you knew the truth but did not choose to embrace it? Have there been times in your life when you did make a choice that changed the course of your life? If you're here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is because you made a choice based on the truth. As we conclude our series, The Life You Were Meant to Live, we come to a single verse. It is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. In it, we have a summation of everything we considered in last week's sermon from Romans 6, verses 1 to 14. This single verse 
explains why we say Jesus gave his life for you in order to give his life to you so that he might live his life through you. And then this morning's truth is as you, that he does that as you. Let's look at it together. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. As we look at this one verse, we're going to touch on three realities, three facts. The first is simple. God, rather I should say the believer, has been transformed by God. The believer has been transformed by God. Now you and I need to clarify something right up front. God is eternal and we are not, at least not in the way that he is. You see, the truths of our union with Christ may seem confusing. Because Jesus lived, died, and was raised from the dead almost 2,000 years ago. Well, given that, how can we say that we have died with Christ or we've been raised with Christ? Well, very simply, God is the creator of all things. He created time. He sees the beginning and the end all at once. There's no such thing as past or future with God. Everything is present. Now, that's hard for us because we're trapped in time. But it's easy for God. And that means that it doesn't matter to him whether you and I lived during the time that Jesus walked the earth or 2,000 years later. The simple fact is that the Bible, and specifically the gospel, clearly teaches that the Christian is someone who has been brought into union with Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Now, Paul begins with a statement of truth. He knows what God has accomplished. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, I want you to notice the tense. I, this is an audience participation time. Have been, right. Past tense. Actually, the tense is called a perfect tense. It means that there's an action that was completed in the past with an eternal effect. In other words, I have been crucified with Christ once and for all. This is something God has done. We do not and cannot crucify ourselves. God has united the believer with Christ in his death. And it is just as much an accomplished fact as Jesus' finished work on the cross. That's why, oh, excuse me. This means that when Jesus took my sin to the cross, he took me to the cross. He took the person that I was, the identity that I had in Adam. My co-death with Jesus means that I have been set free from the authority of sin. And that's what the Apostle Paul touches on in Romans 6. Listen to some of what he wrote there. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. God has united me with the death of Jesus Christ. When he died, I died. 
Later in the verse, Paul refers to a second accomplished act of God. He says, Christ lives in me. Notice the tense. Audience participation time. This is a present. This speaks of a continuous reality. Right now. It never ends. And again, this is something only God can do. You can't make yourself spiritually alive. God did that the moment you placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the result of an initial act of faith whereby we have been born again. And that explains why, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We are in union with Christ in his resurrection. In other words, when Jesus was raised from the dead, a new me was raised from the dead with him. And that reality enables us to live the life that we are meant to live. A life with a Godward focus. And that's a life that Jesus Christ is living right now. In Romans 6 again, the apostle writes, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death he died, past tense, he died to sin, meaning to set us free from it, once for all. But the life he lives, present tense, he lives to God. We picture this reality every time we baptize a believer. We lower them into the water and we say, united with him in the likeness of his death. Aren't you glad we don't leave you under the water that long? (laughs) You know why we take you out of the water? Because you walked out of that grave with him. And this is an act of God that you could think of in terms of the word identification. God has identified you with Christ in his death and resurrection. He's brought you into union with him in those things. Therefore, we are in Christ. Jesus gave his life to you. God has united me with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm a new creation. Did I say you'll feel like it? Hmm. The third truth that is spoken of here is when the apostle writes that the Son of God loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, we covered this in the first sermon in this series a few weeks ago. Jesus gave his life for me. The truth of the accomplished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. Let me show it to you like this. Now, first of all... um, this, these, uh, some of these charts I'm going to show you this morning come from a place where I got some training a few years ago in uh, Tennessee, Grace Fellowship International. It's a helpful way to help us understand ourselves and some of the truths of our union with Christ. That circle is you, if you're a human being. Anybody here not human? You have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. We're not going to talk about our bodies because it's too depressing. Our soul is our personality. It involves our thoughts and our feelings and our choices. Well, when you and I were born, our body and soul uh, basically were ready to go. They were alive, ready to function. But spiritually, I was DOA, dead on arrival. 
The gospel tells us that we must be born again. Why? Because of sin. We come into this life physically and psychologically alive, but spiritually dead. We are born sinners. Our mind, emotions, and will have the potential to function properly, but we do not possess the life we need. Spiritual life. We're dead on arrival, therefore we must be born. Kazaa. This is the cure that was provided for us at the cross. Jesus gave his life for us, and as we have already seen, he gives his life to us. He is united with us in our spirit. He gave his life for me in order to give his life to me. Now that fact, or rather those facts, cannot be disconnected from each other. In other words, when you embrace the truth that Jesus gave his life for you, when you put your trust in him, it means automatically he gives his life to you. You you receive the Holy Spirit. Make sense? The believer has been transformed. That's a transformation. The believer has been transformed by God. That's the first fact that we see in Galatians 2.20. Here's the second one, and I'll say it like this. The proper response to truth will change your life. The proper response to truth changes your life. I want to share with you what some of our fellow Bayside's have written. These are folks who have gone through our coaching ministry. And I asked them to share with me what it has meant to them to understand their union with Christ. Listen to what some of them have said. This is from Lauren, Lauren Machado. She says, I remember being so broken. I went on thinking of all the mistakes I made in my past. And they put me right where I was that God had forgotten about me. Not long ago, the song, I am who you say I am, came on. And I remember crying and shouting out the lyrics, God, I was lost, but you, you brought me in. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I received that. I rested in that. And my heart was filled with joy. I was set free. Robin Morio wrote, the true meaning of Galatians 2.20 has had a profound impact on my life and my walk with Jesus. I was saved years before I truly discerned the truth of what crucified with Christ really meant. The moment I was saved, my old sinful life died and my new life in Christ began. When Christ died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. And when he rose, I rose a new creation. And the Holy Spirit now lives in my body. Christ gave me new life the second I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. My old man, my sinful nature is dead. I'm a new creation. Sin no longer has dominion over me. I'm under grace. I have eternal life because of Christ our Savior. I know I'm forgiven. My life is not my own. Christ lives in me. Kathy Giovanni Cisneros wrote, I was saved on my way to heaven in love with Jesus, but I was my own Lord. I continued to do things saved, but my way, in my strength. I so wanted to be a good Christian, but I was struggling. A few years after my salvation, I remember kneeling at my bedside in despair, telling God, I'm done. I give up. Do with me what you will. That was the beginning of my journey of an exchanged life. It is freedom. I'm learning not to live by feelings, but by God's truth and what he says about me. Now, that's what I call living. Melissa Eden wrote, I better understand the finished work of Christ at Calvary. I'm accepted in him, not rejected by my performance, past failure or future. 
The life I live, I gladly turn over to the one who purchased my freedom from the law of sin and death. He is my source of life by his spirit. Because of this, I can mean it when I say I refuse to be discouraged for long because he is the God of all hope and nothing is impossible with him. With me, yes. With him, no. The right response to truth will change your life. The question then is, well, what's the right response? And that brings us to the third fact that this passage speaks of. And it is this. Choice is the key to living the life you were meant to live. The statement that we have been studying for weeks now is Jesus gave his life for us in order to give his life to us so that he might live his life through us as us. When you and I trusted in Christ, who gave his life for us, his life was automatically given to us. And when he lives his life through us, he automatically does it as us. But listen carefully. Just because he's given his life to you does not mean he's living his life through you automatically. You must make a choice. It is a faith-based choice. It is making a choice based on what the Word of God says. Knowing that Christ died for you did not save you. Did you know that? Knowing that Jesus died for you didn't save you. Choosing to trust Him did. It was an appropriate choice based on the truth. Galatians 2.20 not only speaks of what God has accomplished, but it also speaks of that which is a result of our choices. We must choose to live out the realities of our union with Christ. Yes, when He died, the person that I was died with Him. Yes, when He rose, a new creation named Joe Feraldi rose with Him. But to benefit from those truths, I needed to make some choices. Faith-based, God's Word-based choices, regardless of how I might be feeling. And if you would, you can think of these choices as two sides of the same coin. It is the coin of an exchanged life. It is no longer I who live, I live by faith in Christ. Those two statements can be summarized in four words. Not I, but Christ. Can you say, not I, but Christ? It's like Mr. Rogers' neighbor. Can you? Can you? Not I, but Christ. Okay, you can go home now. No, 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 no. Let's look at these two choices. Let's look at this coin. The first side of the coin is the side of surrender. It is no longer I who live. This is a surrender of our natural way of living. We naturally live based on me. We do it. Oh, you are so much better than first service. I'm telling you now, if you, the Lord takes you home and you have me do your funeral and you ask me to play that song, find somebody else. I hate that song. My way. 
Making things about me that aren't about me. The Bible calls it flesh. The Apostle Paul refers to it 160 times in his letters. In fact, we do this more than we realize and in ways you don't even see. It's a surrender of that which would come naturally to us. It's how we learn to live. By nature, we're self-centered. Don't believe me? Look at your children. Do you remember them when they were young? They were so selfless, weren't they? Did you ever teach them to go, mine? I never taught my kids that. They knew that part. It's all about me. Self-determined, self-reliant, self-centered. If you do not think that isn't true, just look at your kids. Think of, think of you, you, yourself, think of you as having a, a control center, right? The Bible calls it your heart. Now, when the Bible speaks of your heart, it's not talking about, it's not talking about the physical organ. It's talking about, well, what I was taught was your functional life source. Sounds so cool, doesn't it? You have a functional life source. It's your heart, your, fu- your functional life source. It's that part of you that you live out of. And by nature, it's self-centered. You can sum it up with one little word. I. The tendency to live this way does not change when you come to faith in Christ. It's not automatic. Why do you think the New Testament letters talk about the stuff it talks about? It's not natural for me to all of a sudden not live other than self-centered. I have to learn to live differently for my own good and for the Lord's glory. And even though I've been crucified with Christ, I still have that natural way of living. You have to think of this as a choice of relinquishing a self-determined life. And let me tell you something. It can look so spiritual. It can look so good and religious. I was a pastor. I preached that way. Not on purpose. I was clueless. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer need to be the one who runs my life. It's not about me anymore. Paul writes, he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. This principle, folks, is a theme throughout the scriptures. Either man determines himself or allows his creator to determine him. You see it in Genesis. When Adam and Eve elevated their self-assessment over the expressed word of God. You see it in Israel's choice that led them to spend 40 years in the wilderness. It continues into the New Testament as seen through the uh, lives of religious people. And you can see it all the way into the book of Revelation. The choice is what Paul commands in Romans chapter 6 and chapter 12. He says, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It is surrender. Now, to make this willful choice, to continue, excuse me, to not make this willful choice, and to continue living in the way that is natural for us, could be expressed in another four words. Not Christ, 
but I. And this way of living can have catastrophic consequences. Even when it looks real good. A few years ago, I read a book called A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War. The author's name is Joseph LeCant. It's a story about the relationship between C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and their common but separate experiences in the First World War. Listen to what he writes about what happened during and after those years. I quote, The perverse relationship between technology, science, and power became a defining reality in the post-war years. Eugenics. Communism, fascism, Nazism. These were the revolutions and ideologies that arose in the exhaustion of the democracies of Europe. All in the name of advancing the human race. All began by promising liberation from oppression. All became instruments of totalitarian control. C.S. Lewis wrote, dreams of the far future destiny of man were dragging up from its shallow and unquiet grace the old dream of man as God. The Christian's co-death with Jesus is the basis of the surrender of I. It is the foundation for a changed life because of the affect it can have on those who make the choice. It is essential to living the life we are meant to live. Pastor Dave and I have a, one of our favorite authors is a man who was named Major Ian Thomas. You won't find his books in a Christian bookstore, but you need to find his books. Here's what he wrote. The Christian life can only be explained in terms of Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, your personality, your willpower... Your devotion, your gift, your talent, your money, your, t- your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, your anything. Then you may have the Christian life, but you are not yet living it. This surrender may seem hard or even scary for us. Because not only is it a surrender of self-control, but God may have a surrender something or someone we love. It could be an attitude. It could be a way of thinking. It could be your choice for president. It could be an aspiration or a dream. It could be a spouse or a child. Just remember that anything God would have us surrender is ultimately what is best for us. And when you remember who he is, you can give up what gets in the way of you living the life you were meant to live even if you love it. In such situations, remember that His love for you and His commitment to you is for your good. He would only have a surrender, that which is either not good or less than what He wants to give. And I'm going to give you a name for it. You can call it Isaac. Look at this slide with me. See the little girl? See what she's got? Little teddy bear? Teddy bear's name is Isaac. What's the Lord Jesus saying to her? Hmm? Just trust me. But I love it, God. 
What doesn't she see? She doesn't see what he has for her. This is the essence of freedom from codependency and enablement. It's freedom. But the key is surrender. The other side of the coin is what the Apostle Paul refers to when he writes that I live by faith in the Son of God. This is the choice of appropriation. Can you say appropriation? It means to take hold of something and to use it for yourself. In this case, we take hold of a living Christ to be who he is in and through us. Not I is surrender, but Christ is appropriation. And again, it is commanded in Romans 6. The apostle wrote this, and even so, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. That word consider or reckon is the idea of taking hold of something. You do it all the time. You don't even realize it. When you get paid electronically, did you know that when you get a money deposited in your bank account and you get a statement, you have a choice? You can act like that money's there or you can't, or you choose not to. But the minute you say, well, that's my money, you've appropriated it. And you can use it to, you know, uh, pay bills, go shopping, take Pastor Joe and Pat to dinner. You can do whatever you want with it. You made it yours. Your co-resurrection with Christ means that you are a new creation. It means you have everything you need to live the life you were meant to live. You just need to take hold of it. You simply need to exercise faith in the living and dwelling Christ. Faith is trust. Faith is humble dependence. It is a humble dependence that makes you totally available to Christ for who he is and whatever his agenda is. Not I, but Christ. It's a result of a choice to trust him now to live through us as we have already trusted him. For what he did on the cross. If you are certain that when you take your last breath, you'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord, you can be just as certain that he's ready to live through you right now. When have I told you that you're going to feel something? You don't. You might. But it ain't about a feeling. It's about a choice. Paul writes, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Christ did not die simply that you might be saved from a bad conscience or even to remove the stain of past failure, but to clear the decks for divine action, Ian Thomas wrote. The Lord Jesus Christ therefore ministers to you in two distinct ways. He reconciles you to God by his death. And he saves you by his life. From what? What do we have to be saved from now? Have you looked around? Have you looked within? The first thing I got to be saved from is me. Trust Jesus to live through you now as you have already trusted him for what he did then. Choice is the key to living the life that you are meant to live. Did you know that you can be destined for heaven and go through life never living the life God meant for you to live? There are those who have a life they never live. They have come to Christ and thanked Him only for what He did. 
but not to live in the power of who he is. God did not just save you so that you could go to heaven. You know how I know that? Do you know how you can know that Jesus didn't die on a cross just so that you could go to heaven? You want to know why? Huh? Hmm? You're still here! If Jesus died on the cross to take you to heaven, what in the world are you doing here? Who cares about you? What in the world am I doing here? He didn't die on a cross just to take you to heaven. He saved you so that he could live his life through you as a redeemed vessel with the potential to be what he designed you to be. Christ in you means that he can use your unique personality through which to express himself by means of your dependence on him to do so. When he lives through you, he does so as you. And this enables you and I to be truly human because it restores to us the purpose for which God designed us. If you will but trust Christ, Thomas writes, not only for the death he died to redeem you, but also for the life he lives and waits to live through you, the very next step you take will be a step taken in the very energy and power of God himself. You will be restored to your true humanity, the human vehicle of the divine life. Now that's living. I want to illustrate this again using some of those uh, symbols I showed you before. I want to illustrate this truth that Jesus might live through you as you. Again, you see that Jesus is in us, in our spirit. And again, that we have these thoughts and feelings and choices. If you've trusted in Christ, you're united with him in his death and resurrection. Therefore, Christ is in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's desire is to transform our thoughts and our emotions and our choices. In other words, for Jesus to cross the bridge into your soul. The eye at the center. Do you all see the eye there? That's your heart. That's your functional life source. That's what you live out of. We live out of this naturally. It's our natural self-determination or reliance. The Bible calls it flesh. And it is this I that we are to surrender. And it's a choice. Our natural self-living, or rather self-centered living, which could be expressed as not Christ, but I, leads to problems. Because guess what? We live in a sinful world. And we're not designed to deal with the stuff that comes at us from a sinful reality. And I refer to this as inner conflict. If you will, it's soul sickness. Garbage in? Well, I'm not out yet, but it's still garbage in. Right? Unhealthy thinking, unhealthy feelings and choices. And you're right. Garbage out. Because when I'm the one responding to the stuff that comes at me, I think I can handle it. And guess what? You can't. And so what happens? Well, the Bible calls that the deeds of the flesh. It's the result of you making stuff about you that ain't about you. And when I coach people, I say to them, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was somebody else in your life to deal with the stuff you've got to deal with? Guess what? There is. What happens inwardly will find expression outwardly. And therefore, there can be conflict within the person and within their relationships. 
the deeds of the flesh. But when you and I make the faith-based choice for Christ to live through us by means of a surrender of that I, to take hold of Him for who He is, then there's an inner and outer transformation. It's the effect of Jesus living through you as you. And the Lord will show you all kinds of ways to apply this to your life the first, after the first time you make the choice. The Lord Jesus Christ claims the use of your body, your whole being, your complete personality, so that you may be an expression of the Son of God in you as a human being. Our union with Christ means that we are in Him and He is in us. God did this so that He could engage the world. He could engage the world through anyone who makes themselves available to Him to do so. I love this next quote. Let me share it with you. To be in Christ, that is redemption. But for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification. To be in Christ, that makes you fit for heaven. But for Christ to be in you, makes you fit for earth. To be in Christ changes your destination. But for Christ to be in you, changes your destiny. The one makes heaven your home. The other makes this world his workshop. The conclusion of our study then is simple. When Jesus lives through you, he does so as you. Now we're going to go back to an illustration that Pastor Dave used a few weeks ago. This is the, forgive me, Lord, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? It's the best I could do, all right? There's power here, right? Okay. So when you and I placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for what he did for us, God brought us into union with him, and therefore now, whatever life is in him is now available to me. Got that? It's automatic. What's not automatic is for the lamp to what? Yeah. It's still, uh, is it functioning as a lamp is designed to function? Hmm. Maybe if I preach at it more, baptize it, get it to tithe. Let's make it really religious, which is what most churches in this country do to Christians all the time. And we foster, without meaning to, legalism. Just try harder. Hmm. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do. So there's a choice to be made, a faith-based choice to flick the switch. What happens? The life of Jesus now is seen. It's still a lamp! It didn't become a breakfast table or something. It's still a lamp. Right? And guess what? Now it is functioning as its creator designed it to function. What makes you think you're any different? Took me a very long time to learn that. It took a very long time for me to learn that. By the way, how hard is the lamp working? Mm-hmm. Just rest in the power source. Mm-hmm. 
Remember the old expression, I could have had a V8? I could have had a Jesus. It would have been a lot less stressful. This verse may be very familiar to you. I knew it well enough to preach it 20 years ago last month. Knowing the truth only benefits you when you make the right choice about what to do with that truth. We have a choice this morning, and I mean all of us. It's a choice that enables us to live the life we were meant to live. It is summed up in the words, not I, but Christ. Not I is a surrender of self. It is a choosing to not make things about you that were never about you in the first place. It is saying no to my natural, self-determined, my way of living. And I mean all of us have that opportunity to make that choice. Because if you've made that sort of a choice in the past, I can promise you there's something else that the Lord will show you that he wants you to apply that choice to today. But for many of us who have been Christians for many years, maybe we've never really said to the Lord, I don't want to be the center of my life anymore. I don't want to make it about me. That whatever you mean by the words, not I, but Christ, is what I want. To say, but Christ, is to walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It is taking hold of Jesus as your Savior, yes, as your Lord, yes, and as your life. Trusting Him to be who He is right now, just as you've already trusted Him for what He did on the cross. And when you do, Jesus lives through you as you. It's still a lamp. So, choose, choose to trust Jesus for the life you were meant to live. Let's pray. I want to give you a minute or so. In the event that God wants to do business with you, or perhaps then you need to be doing some business with God. I know a lot of you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus. There may be some of you who never have, and so I'll start there and just say, if you want to have the kind of life God really means you to have, both in the future and now, it's simple, but it begins with a choice. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me so that I may have forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. And you simply receive it by faith, and you say, thank you, Lord, for the gift. But that same kind of faith is available to all of us who are God's people through faith in Christ. What or who would he have you surrender today? Have you ever said to the Lord, I'm done living a self-centered life? I didn't even know I was. But Lord, I understand that you call me to embrace a living Christ as the center of my life. That he would operate in and through me using my personality. Have your way. Change the way I think where it needs to be changed. Change the choices I make, not my will but yours. And over time, bring my desires into conformity with your truth. An attitude of yieldedness, of surrender. It may be a person, it may be an attitude, it may be yourself. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Heavenly Father... Our desire is to preach Christ, crucified, risen, seated, and us in union with him, 
whatever you want to do in our midst this morning with what has been proclaimed in me and all the folks that are hearing this, do it. First and foremost, for your glory. And then we acknowledge that it will be for our joy. Whatever you want, in the words, not I, but Christ, that's what we want this morning too. Help us to remember that by making that choice, we can go forward reckoning it true in our lives. And for that, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.